BakerBots LLP provides podcasts for educational purposes only. They are not legal advice. This communication may constitute attorney advertising. Welcome to the Environmental Evolutions Podcast where we explore the changing landscape of environmental law and policy. I'm your host, Megan Burge, coming to you live again from my closet in Joshua Tree, California. This is a standalone episode on carbon capture, use, and sequestration. With me today to talk about CCUS, as it's affectionately abbreviated, are my partners Aileen Hook from my very own environmental group and Barbara DeMarine from our incredibly creative tax group. Before we get started, I have a quick question for today. We're going to do a quiz. Here it goes. By how much did the global capacity for carbon capture, use, and storage increase between the end of 2019 and the end of 2020? I know you're all dying to know the answer, and you'll just have to wait until the end of the podcast. All right. So with that, I think we're ready to get started. And we're going to kick it off with Aileen. Aileen? What is CCUS? In terms of what what that means, CCUS is really, it's a process that allows um, carbon emissions from industrial sources, say your local power plant or a refinery, for example, um, to, to be captured instead of going into the atmosphere and then it's compressed generally into a a very cold liquid state so that it can go into a means of transportation say you know typically a pipeline but it could be a barge it could be a, a truck it could be a rail car or a ship to a location where it is sequestered or you know permanently stored in underground geologic formations where there are it's called pore space little holes um, beneath the surface and it it's captured there and is prevented from being admitted to the atmosphere which is a good thing for climate that would uh, allow the, the what otherwise would be a mission, an emission to go into a useful product instead of having to find naturally occurring carbon dioxide for that. Aileen, thank you for all of that. I have to say, you mentioned a number of uses for CO2, but it has to be among my favorite products considering it's used in beer, soda, dry ice, sugary, meat calking, <laughs> algae generation for fish farms. I mean, the list goes on and on. What a versatile product. Who knew? But with all of that, why are we hearing so much about it recently? Well, Megan, there are you know, a lot of things going on in the in the in the world and in the United States that are really bringing CCUS to the forefront. Um, you know, it is a important part, frankly, of, of uh, you know the the UN's plan to address climate risk and. You know that's going on at the on the international level, uh, and you know, corp you know, corporations are really focused now on something called ESG, which is environmental social governance, 
And one of the components of that really it, it looks at the environmental you know, footprint and environmental policies of a company, which brings you to climate again. Um, and you know, there are you know, fossil fuel companies in particular have been accept, accepting the fact that there is a transition in energy happening and realizing that carbon capture, which has actually been around you know, for a really long time, uh, is probably low-hanging fruit in terms of initiatives that they could adopt and implement to start making a difference. And it also looking at it as a potential business opportunity because um, they know how to drill wells and and you know take things out of the ground, but they also have the same technology to put things in the ground. And then you know, finally, on just the U.S. perspective, with the change in administration, the Biden administration's focus is heavily involved on climate. Um, and, and you know, he just put out an executive order that, among uh, all of the other. Uh, priorities in terms of climate does specifically mention carbon capture. Uh, so a lot of attention on it. And I will say it's really a continuation. Even during the Trump administration, there was bipartisan support for some CCUS related legislation. So a lot of factors are all converging. And there's been a lot of research done in the past 15, 20 years that's all coming to fruition and, and everything is aligning at the right time. Well, that's that's really interesting, but I do have to ask because, of course, everything is about my current home state of California. Isn't California <laughs> to play, playing a role here, too? Yes, yes. Yeah, California's, California's governor, I think, is being helpful to, to, to the CCUS initiative as well in terms of getting to, you know, what's called decarbonization, to take carbon out of the atmosphere and initiatives in terms of having low carbon fuels look for ways to offset emissions that do do exist and one of the ways to do that is to show that you know you're, you're getting a credit for some positive you know carbon reduction activity somewhere else and one of the one of those is through carbon capture and storage in fact there are there are projects in outside of California that go through the, the certification process uh, for that credit and get to be used by, by entities you know, to, to meet their, their low carbon fuel standard requirements. So, so there's, you know, California is definitely one of, the, one of the drivers on CCUS right now. Well, I have another question. And Aileen, you're welcome to take a swing at it, but I think we're all going to agree here on this podcast that it's probably in Barbara's wheelhouse, which is how does tax play a role for CCUS? And I'm happy to speak to that. Um, I thought you might be, and, Barbara. And the reason... I thought you might be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm uh, happy for you to speak to it as well. <laughs> well, so. Uh, tax policy is often used to incentivize behavior. And so if, as a society, we have determined that carbon capture or CCUS is a good thing, then we would want to see how our tax system could support that um, activity. And 
when you're talking about tax policy and how it could incentivize behavior, you, I, or one, I, I guess, would say that we can divide the actions that we could take into the either the stick method or the carrot method. And the stick method would be to tax carbon emissions to, or tax the use of fossil fuels and put a heavier tax, a price on that activity. Um, and that is something that I believe the current count is something like 30 different countries around the world outside of the United States have chosen to do. But in the United States, at least up to now, from a federal standpoint, we don't have a carbon tax. Instead, what we have is we have carrots in the sense of we have an incentive, which is a, um, a tax credit for carbon capture and for, for, for CCUS, for carbon capture use and storage. Um, and the credit has actually been around since 2008, but it uh, was enhanced, made richer, more valuable, easier to get, more available of broader application in 2018. And so, along with Aileen's comments about why we're hearing more and more about carbon capture lately, the changes that improved the tax credit also got people pretty excited. And there's been a lot of discussion about that. Um, and, um, and so uh, there's been a lot of interest in, and I've talked to a lot of people who say, you know, we probably would have looked at engaging in this these activities anyway, just because we need to do it as a good corporate citizen, or we need to do it because our investors are looking at our ESG position. We probably would have done it anyway, but if we can do it and we can get a tax credit at the same time, then uh, we want to get the tax credit. So uh, that's how that's how tax is playing a role here. Barbara, can you give us all the 25 cent version of what is the tax credit? Sure. The tax credit is a dollar amount per metric ton of carbon dioxide that you capture from an industrial source and that you then do one of three things with. You either sequester it, like bury it deep under the ground, like Aileen was talking about, or you use it in enhanced oil recovery, where you take it to a depleted oil well that's already been worked over, and st but still has some little molecules of oil down in there that are clinging to the sides and you push the CO2 down into the to the oil well and bring the additional oil to the surface. That's that's the second thing you can do with it to get the credit. And the third thing you can do with it to get the credit is to utilize it in one of these commercial applications like we were talking about where you use it to make other chemicals, to make cement, or potentially uh, use it in uh, food products or uh, dry ice or meat packing or things like that. 
Um, so it's a it's a it's a dollar amount. It's unlimited, and it uh, it you get it. Uh, it's an unlimited amount for twelve years from the time that you start doing it, from the time that you place your project in in service, and um, uh, it's rich enough that the dollar amount is something uh, it varies, but it could be between let's say thirty-five to fifty dollars a ton. It's rich enough that um, for an average project, uh, the the total credits over the life of the uh, project might be on the order of uh, forty, sixty, eighty million dollars. Wow, um, which is which is is big it's money. It's a big carrot. <laughs> well, that actually brings me to a question that I know has come up often in this field when folks talk about CCUS, which is why should an oil and gas driller, you know, fossil, get a tax credit intended to incentivize green activity? Right. That's that's one of the things that when I first got interested in this area, I really I, it, it sort of mystified me. I was kind of like, isn't it sort of hypocritical to say we're going to incentivize green activity and we're going to give the credit to somebody that's drilling for oil? Yes, they happen to be using this CO2 that's been captured to drill for the oil, but they're 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 producing fossil fuels. So how does that really support the green uh, objectives? And the answer is what I learned, which I didn't know previous to that, is that the oil and gas drillers have been flooding their oil, their depleted oil wells with CO2 for a long time, for years and years and years. It's just that the CO2 that they've been using is CO2 that exists in these natural deposits underground largely sort of in the Midwest, the upper Midwest, um, where they pull it out of these natural deposits and pipe it to the oil fields and use it to get the oil out of the oil fields. So the theory behind the credit is, hey, we want you to use oil, I mean, sorry, we want you to use carbon dioxide that has been captured from other, from from man-made sources rather than introduce into our whole environment CO2 that has been perfectly happy sitting down there in that natural deposit underground all these you know millions of years. So that's the explanation. It's sort of like if you're going to do it anyway, then let's use this let's let's encourage people to use the captured CO2. Yeah, if I could chime in for a minute, a, a couple observations on that one. It's you know, it reminds it gets me to use my favorite word, one of my favorite words, anthropogenic. So, so we're using anthropogenic or man-made, right, CO2 to avoid, you know, the energy that would be used in uh, you know, extracting the the uh, naturally occurring CO2, which is a good thing. And second, just you know, when we talk about EOR, enhanced oil recovery, and the and the CO2 being used, one of the things to keep in mind is although it is being used, and some of it may be coming up when 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 the production occurs, not much is. According to the National Petroleum Council, 
operational experience indicates that about 99% of the CO2 that's used for enhanced oil recovery at the end of the day is trapped in geologic formations and isn't going to be released to the atmosphere. So it is, although it's being used, it, it is being sequestered at the same time. I'm still stuck on happy gas under the ground. <laughs> I just have visions of emojis dancing through my head. So <laughs> I'm definitely never going to think about CCUS the same after this podcast. <laughs> well, I know you two ladies work together a lot and have been working together even more so lately. What is the Venn diagram here between, as I mentioned, Aileen being in the environmental sphere and Barbara, you being in the tax sphere regarding the 45Q movement? Um, okay, I think I would answer that by saying that the tax credit right in the statute and right in the internal revenue code it says that the irs um it 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 commands the irs to work with the epa the department of energy and the department of the interior to come up with the regulations and rules for determining how much co2 or carbon oxide is um sequestered, placed in secure geological storage, or utilized. And so it, it, it's all about, remember, the credit is based on the tonnage that you do this to. And so it's all about counting, counting tons, right? But the IRS doesn't have the people and, the, and as a tax lawyer, I don't have the skills to be able to say the this amount was you know permanently stored permanently sequestered this amount escaped etc and so um that's where the that's where the um that's where there's going to be a, a lot of need for interaction and and sort of cross discussion and uh the area that um going to be that that's really kind of the wild west where everybody is still sort of feeling their way and trying to learn and understand is that um remember we said you can get the credit for using for sorry utilizing the the carbon oxide in um in sort of commercial applications so let's say you're going to use it um in cement for example or or, or, um, or megan's beer yeah. or, or in the beer let's take yeah, the beer as, yeah. let's take <laughs> the beer as an example so it's so it's going to go into the beer and so um the statute the, the tax credit statute says that for purposes of measuring the tonnage that is going to be eligible for the credit you have to have performed and it's going to be performed by an environmental consultant, what's called a um, life cycle analysis of greenhouse gases. And so the idea with the life cycle analysis is that the environmental consultant looks at the product process from sort of soup to nuts, from the original generation of the gas all the way through to the consumer use and says, 
this the the and and then compares that process using that carbon oxide um, that was captured to what what the total greenhouse em gas emissions would have been if you had used carbon oxide from say a natural source, not the captured carbon oxide. And then it's the difference, it's the savings that is what is eligible for the, um, the credit. And so, as you might imagine, there are enormous questions around sort of the, the, the how you design the comparison and what the boundaries are for the steps that you're going to compare, you know, do you get to stop at the facility gate or do you have to go all the way through to the consumer that burps, burps after they have their beer? Right? Yeah. And so the, 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 there are all these questions and they're unexplored and these LCAs have to be prepared. They have to be submitted to the IRS and submitted to the Department of Energy and you cannot claim the credit until you have had your LCA approved by the IRS and the DOE. So you can imagine how many conversations there are going to have to be between environmental consultants and lawyers and tax professionals to get this sort of system uh, clarified. Yeah, I have to say, when you're talking about life cycle analysis, Barbara, now you're in my wheelhouse. And where to draw those lines, <laughs> where to draw those lines is um, a perpetual ongoing discussion, a living, breathing concept, we'll say. And I love your, I love yeah. your example of, uh, you know, soup to nuts from the, the end use, to say, to the beginning. That was great. Aileen, is there anything you want to add there before we move on? Sure. Let me just mention the, the other piece of this is you're getting on the let's go to the sequestration side. You're getting a credit because you're having a project that's going to, you know, build the infrastructure and put in the wells to 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 put the carbon back in the ground. And to do that, you need environmental permits. And so you what? can't even Aileen, you know, what? spend you the money permits? to do the project. I know. Don't be crazy. <laughs> yeah, they're, you know, Safe Drinking Water Act. We're trying, you know, wanting to make sure that when you put the carbon in, that it's, it's, that it's not going to affect underground drinking water supplies because we don't, it's really not good for the water to be carbonated as it's coming out. Yeah. Um, so it's, we want to preserve that. And so, yes, lots, lots of permitting, and it's, we're at the cusp of, of you know, a, a major round of permitting for CC, CCUS, CCS in particular um, facilities. Well, Eileen, Barbara, it sounds like y'all are going to be working together a whole lot more in the future. We're coming to the close of our episode. Is there anything else you want to tell our listeners before we wrap up? Yes, Megan, this is Aileen. I, I would like to just stress how important CCUS is in the uh, climate change world right now. The International Energy Agency has showed that CCUS technologies contribute to 13% 
of global cumulative CO2 emissions reductions through the year 2060, it's 40 years from now, making it the third largest contributor to global decarbonization efforts after energy efficiency and renewables. And the Inter Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which is the United Nations uh, organization, also looked at CCUS and concluded that the cost of achieving the desired global temperature hold um, would be more than double without CCUS as part of the mix. So it's really important. And one one final thought is, and, and you know, everyone may be interested in this, to the extent you want to put on your creative hat, Elon Musk recently announced a $100 million moonshot prize for the best carbon capture technology. So I'll, I'll be working on that in my spare time. <laughs> As opposed to that's a different kind of carrot. Not Barbara's carrot, different carrot. <laughs> that's right. And I have nothing further to add on that. <laughs> well, thank you both so much. Barbara, Aileen, this has been very interesting. And I think it's safe to say that we all, the listeners and I, are now a bit more up to speed on CCUS. This brings us to the time to answer our quiz question. So, the global capacity for CCUS between 2019 and 2020 increased by, drum roll, approximately one-third per the Global CCS Institute. And there's a link to the Global CCS Institute in our episode notes. It's a great resource for anyone who's interested. Also, if you have questions about CCUS, please feel free to contact Barbara and Aileen. Their contact information also is included in the notes. We're at the end of our time here today, and I want to thank Barbara and Aileen for joining me. Thanks, Megan. Thank you. I really appreciate you taking the time. And with that, I'm Megan Burge. Thank you all for spending time with me today. Thank you for listening to this BakerBots podcast. For more information on BakerBots practices, please visit us at bakerbots.com. For over 180 years, through 13 offices in nine countries, BakerBots has the experience, knowledge, and people to solve our clients' most significant legal issues. This presentation is provided by BakerBots LLP for educational and informational purposes only. It is not legal advice. 
Under the rules of certain jurisdictions, this communication may constitute attorney advertising.